You're listening to the Pre-Hospital Care Podcast on the Medics Academy Network. In this episode, I'm speaking with Kunel Ogunbemi about ischemic stroke care and the innovation of thrombectomy. So I want to do is really have this conversation for a while actually around why thrombectomy is considered a leading stroke intervention and how it can contribute to early rehabilitation improve functional outcome and indeed treatment of stroke. So what we look at in the episode is how it can restore cerebral blood flow. Uh, we look at uh, the functional recovery of patients undergoing thrombectomy. We look at the minimal evasive approach thrombectomy takes. We look at the collaborative care and how much it actually takes to provide a 24-7 service. And then some of the f- positive clinical trials showing its effectiveness. So I really wanted to have this conversation for a while and Canal has kindly obliged and he proposed quite a novel approach actually to stroke care and this is this hub and spoke model for thrombectomy services. So the hub being the thrombectomy itself and the spoke being the hypercute stroke unit or HASU. So what happens is from the spokes and from multiple spokes depending where you are geographically um, they get prompt CT scans and indeed a package of care at the spoke and then they get promptly uh, transferred to the hub, so to thrombectomy um, for definitive care. So data suggests that for every nine minute delay in onset to reperfusion, one in a hundred patients will have more severe disability in 90 days. So it really does call for the need for um, both confirmation of stroke caused by LVO or large vessel occlusion, and then the, the rapid transfer to thrombectomy centers. So please do enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Canal. This is really a game-changing intervention. He really speaks to the number needed to treat and the, the drastic change in functional outcome, even on the table, so even whilst these patients are having uh, thrombectomy. So here's my wide-ranging conversation with Canal, and I hope you enjoy now, I wonder if we could just start by getting you to speak to how innovative this approach has become in practice. And just maybe, uh, because it appears to be sort of an analogue of PCI, but for the brain. Yes, that's. Um, I think that that is a very reasonable um, uh, description. Um, thrombectomy, which is what we're talking about, effectively involves... Um, going in in a minimally invasive way, uh, patients with a stroke, which is used typically a blockage in one of the blood vessels in the brain and taking the clot out. Uh, it's been an absolute revolution in, in, in medicine. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say it's one of the uh, most uh, impactful and effective uh, treatments to date in, in modern medicine. Um, it has made a massive uh, difference in the treatment of um of stroke patients and, and it's certainly uh, something that um, should be much wider known and, and should be uh, better available uh, particularly in the UK where I think we're a little bit behind what's happening in Europe. So you just spoke offline actually Cornell, about the availability and indeed the awareness of, of thrombectomy but could you could you maybe speak to um, how it's indeed restores blood flow and and how it it sort of differentiated um from what would maybe have been previously sort of clot lysis right so yeah so that's that's right uh so historically what what we had with uh, patients who had a 
stroke, or we, what we're talking about is ischemic stroke, which is a blockage in the in the in the um, brain. Uh, well, historically, we didn't really have very much other than rehabilitation. Um, then several decades ago, a treatment, which is the clot busting drug you mentioned, came along. And it works reasonably well, particularly in patients with the smaller, less disabling strokes. Um, but for the larger, really disabling stroke, it, it's, its effectiveness is much reduced. Then just over sort of a decade ago, um, we started to realize the, the um, effectiveness of thrombectomy, which is a minimal invasive procedure where we go in and actually take um, the clot out. And to address your question, if I could give you examples, because you mentioned the PCI, which is the uh, percutaneous coronary intervention, so people who have a heart attack and they have to be rushed into hospital and then you know, people go in in a minimally invasive way, similar to what we do, and take the clot out. Now, that is very well known. It's Everybody would agree it's a great treatment and should be widely available, which it is. But just to point out, the actual way we measure effectiveness of some of these treatments is something called number needed to treat or NNT. What that means is you, you take a treatment and you compare it with what already exists and you see, you, you see how many people you would need to treat in order to save either one life or save one person from a severe disability. When you're talking about PCI, you're talking about a number needed to treat of one in 40. So in order to save one person, you would need to treat 40. Now, you compare that with thrombectomy, which is way less widely known or available as PCI. And the number you need to treat to save one person is between two and three. So it's incredibly more effective and makes massive, massive difference to, to lives. With the clot busting drug we had, which I mentioned was a very good treatment, you're still talking about a number needed to treat of something like 11, 12. So you will still need to treat 12 first people to get the same result you would treating two or three with thrombectomy. So it really is that, that powerful. Um, I'll give you more examples. I mentioned earlier at the start of your program that it's no exaggeration to say it's one of the most effective uh, treatments we have in medicine. And, and when you look at some of the most effective treatments that we've discovered in medicine to date, there are surprisingly few that beat this number needed to treat that we're able to get for thrombectomy. I mean, you're really in the realms of uh, triple therapy for peptic ulcer disease, um, antibiotics for sepsis, you know, then you're really scraping on the bottom of the barrel to find something that's more powerful than this. So it it, it is it really is that powerful and that important. Um, and I think yes, your 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 blog and things like what you were doing and some of the stroke association and people out there trying to do to spread the word, I think is really critical. It's fantastic that just to hear you speak, actually, Kunal, because like you said, it's 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 a revelational um, treatment and, and also just looking at the downstream effects, because like you said, you know, the number needed to treat is, is, is so low, but also the downstream effects of 
time to rehabilitation and indeed you know personnel you know uh the, the actual clinical staff needed to so and, and also bed availability and um you know the 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 rehabilitation staff in stroke wards and stroke units could you maybe speak to the, sort of the second and third order effects of 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 the treatment yeah that, that, and that that's absolutely right i mean when we talk about you know, thrombectomy, obviously we're talking about this minimally invasive uh, treatment, but there is a whole host of, of, of staff that are absolutely critical in, in getting this done, starting with the patients themselves and their families being able to recognise, you know, the the uh, the symptoms that we're talking about. So we have the, the FAST uh, campaign that's been, you know, really, really effective and people knowing because, like you said, Time is absolutely critical here. So that really starts from educating the public to knowing what to look for and to knowing that this treatment is available and will be more effective the faster they can get to us. Then you're talking about the paramedics who also need to, to know and absolutely critical in the process because they will be the ones to get to the patients and, and take them to the hospital as quickly as possible and understanding the, the time critical nature of this uh, for paramedics becomes absolutely paramount. You know, I think we're very good with that when it comes to, for example, trauma. I think a lot of paramedics understand, you know, the concept of the golden hour and the need to get people rapidly. But, you know, I think something like that certainly needs to be developed for thrombectomy as well. Then you're talking about local hospitals with the, um, the the initial clinicians who need to assess the patients, start the, the really important uh, initial treatment and then get them to the hub, if you like, we're talking about the hub and spoke model as quickly as possible so that we can do this treatment. But that's not the end of it. You know, after that, then, you know, they, they have to be looked after by our stroke physician colleagues who run the hyperacute stroke units. And we know that stroke patients that are looked after in places like this do better. Um, and then there is a long process after that of sometimes months um, of rehabilitation language uh, uh, therapists, new rehab specialists who also play a role in, in, um, in getting these sort of wonderful outcomes that we can get um, with, with thrombectomy. But um, it is absolutely critical and there's no doubt that I many people have looked at the cost effectiveness of this in terms of, you know, reduced disability, getting people back to work and, and its ability to get people back to a functional independence so that they're back with their families and contributing to society, if you like, and, and in the economy. And it, it's just, it, it's it's a no-brainer, I mean, no pun intended. So looking at, you know, where we could play a role, so where, you know, paramedics and principal care can play a role. Like you said before, there's been some fantastic campaigns about um, fast uh, fast tests and indeed public awareness, which is, which is key initially because, neuron minutes equals neurons and that can really can, can really contribute to morbidity um could you could you maybe unpack sort of the where you see the role for for paramedics because i think in the hub and spoke model you proposed it really is about early uh, early awareness, uh, early identification, and then getting them to a place where you can have a prompt CT scan. We spoke offline about the certain innovations, certain ambulance services, London ambulance services are trialing, trying to keep the ambulance crew with the patient. So to try and cleave and leverage the, the, the downtime so that you can start to narrow this time to thrombectomy because 
minutes equals neurons neurons equals functional ability or disability uh equals uh, worse or better uh, rehabilitation times could, could you maybe speak to that pre-hospital piece and, and where you see the leverage where you see the gains no absolutely i mean i think um the the, the role of the paramedic team is absolutely critical in this i mean if you think about what we're, we're talking about of you know minutes equaling you know, neurons and the number of neurons you you lose potentially for every minute delay. And you think of a patient who's at home and has just had the stroke and where those delays can be. Um, just before I get to that, just so you sort of understand the context, I mean, the average time, so at St. George's Hospital, we we have had the um, the, the longest running 24-7 thrombectomy service um, in, in the country. And we've got it down to when a patient comes into our angio suite from the moment we puncture the groin, which is where how we access to the time when we take the clot out, we're talking 20, 30 minutes. All right. And so, so you know, we're managing to cut that time and there is still room for improvement and we still work on that. But then you think about how long it potentially takes for a patient to be picked up at home and actually to get to us. You, you know, that can be hours. And so if there's going to be a huge amount of gain, actually engaging our paramedic colleagues and, and with, you know, uh, um, uh, uh, educational programs, if you like, such as these, is, is absolutely critical. Um, it's been a learning process um, for us all. And, and, and one of the things we, we realized when we started, there have been lots of, you know, things that we've learned um, al along the ways in terms of, and one of that was actually the importance of, of um uh, of, of educating or spreading the gospel if you like of what we're doing and why we're doing it to our paramedic colleagues we we recognize that almost right away when we started 24/7 service and in fact one of the things we um we 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 started doing which you know some of the paramedic bosses might not thank thank me for I might be spilling too much here is actually encouraging the paramedics once they brought the patients to thrombectomy suite to stay and watch behind the angiosy and actually watch the whole procedure and see the outcomes because not infrequently we get patients who come in and they're completely paralyzed on one side they can't speak they can't talk they can't move anything and we take the clot out and within seconds they're moving and talking so you know i think be, for them being able to see that you know it, it really helps with the with, with the process and next time there is a a stroke that they're involved with and they know what we potentially can do um, I, I think all these things sort of help with, with speeding up the process. And that's really what we're talking about time. I think it's really powerful for, for learning and experientially for, for, for paramedics, because like you said, to be able to see the difference you've made and, and to be able to tangibly see the, the, the outputs and the outcome uh, and that functional uh, ability return to the patient is, is profound actually. But Kunal, could you, could you maybe speak to, just there's there's lots of unseen components as you were speaking to before about just the logistics of operating a 24 7 uh service and i'm sure there'll be people listening to this thinking what can we do in this space even either pre-hospitally or hospitally to bring a service closer to fruition a, a thrombectomy service and close the gap close those little little moments in time those minutes and and, and or hours could you maybe speak to the logistical and or team efforts that it takes to run a 24 7 
thrombectomy service and and maybe like you said before, some of the learning you've you've cleaved from that time because even now i think you're this continual improvement and you're continually sort of leveraging those those gaps in 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 delivery of service yeah i mean it's it, it certainly i mean it goes without saying it is challenging um i've just touched very briefly on some of the, the the professionals and staff that are involved in running it 24-7. But there's a whole host of equally quit critical people that, you know, I, I should definitely mention, you know, our neuro uh, uh, nurses, our, our radiographers, the, the porters that help us move. You know, it's a whole host of people. It's a complex machine and all working under tremendous time pressure. Right. So, a lot of the learning is actually about that of how do you how you cut these um these delays and and these these gaps and and where you can gain um efficiencies and and again it always comes down to the same thing education about what we're doing why we're doing it and what it can actually achieve and it, as you mentioned it is actually surprising well not perhaps not surprising but it's a very powerful motivator for people when they understand that and they can see you know the outcome for somebody who gets to you on time against somebody who unfortunately uh, uh, doesn't so i think getting as much awareness putting political pressure if you like so that the resources to, to uh, provide these um these services um, uh, um can be made available um sharing learning I, I was talking about some things we learned i mean one of the interesting things that, that relates to paramedics for example is um when we first started a 24 7 service we noticed that you know if a patient had a stroke out in the community and were coming to us it would be pretty reason in reasonably rapid you know obviously always room for improvement but definitely rapid but if a patient was already at a hospital so they had a stroke and they were taken to a district general hospital and we needed that patient to come across to us it took much much longer and it it was quite confusing and of course then we we then found out having talked to um paramedic colleagues we, we find out about this system they have of patients who are considered to already be in a place of safety against patients who are out in the community and of course you, you know that again came from just a lack of understanding as to what we're doing and why we're doing it and why you know this was even different to PCIs which is probably what they would they had to compare it to but this was actually different this is more like a life critical you know life-changing procedure that that needed to happen so they needed to be just as quick and so we did a lot of work with the, the paramedic uh, teams in London to actually change this and change how patients who were wherever they are with the stroke are categorized. So it, it is little things like that, sharing this learning and, and just finding areas where we can cut um, the time and the delays. Absolutely. And and like you said, it's all the nuances and subtleties that, that aren't abundantly apparent initially, which is, like you said, the AMPDS code. So the coding in the ambulance service, which prioritizes the 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 uh, the call to the district general hospital to retrieve the patient and making sure that is a, a cate or a priority one call. So like you say, cutting down and all these system based 
errors or system-based um, uh, interventions so that you can get the patient to you a lot quicker. Canel, I just wonder if we could just focus slightly on the on the hub and spoke model because the public, uh, the paper was published in 2021 and you took a cohort and indeed ran it through an ambulance service with a number of hasus hypercute stroke units and then the the thrombectomy service um really interesting that more than half of the workload you saw was actually at nighttime out of hours out out of normal hours which again speaks to the mandate and the necessity of 24-7 stroke care because, you know, rarely does it happen in, in normal office hours. It, it happens, you know, across the, around the clock. But could you speak to what you found from, from that study and maybe what the downstream effects now are from that study? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, um, it, it, it is interesting that you, you, um, you talked about that because you're absolutely right in terms of when thrombec- uh, strokes happen or thrombectomies happen. When we were talking about going to, or having the 24 seven thrombectomy service, one of the, one of the um, uh, assumed wisdoms, if you like, or conventional wisdom was that strokes don't really happen in the middle of the night if you're going to have it it's going to be during the day when you're up and about so we went you know we did we thought well probably won't happen that much at night it's obviously when you're awake and during the day but how wrong we were the vast majority do happen you know at night um so absolutely critical that there is a a 24 7 service available everywhere frankly i mean i think it's um uh, yeah we we are say behind the curve on that um but but in in the uk and certainly in st george's what we did start was this hub and spoke model and if i just tell you a bit about that what what that means is is you, you know you have a hub which is a what we call a comprehensive stroke center which is where you know we have the ability to do all the usual stroke treatments plus have the neurosurgical cover um and do this one to me and then you have the spokes, which are hyperacute stroke units that are typically smaller hospitals, but do have the um, ability to give the um, initial uh, a treatment um, and then get the patient to us in the hub. And it's a model that works quite well, but what it does throw up is a whole, again, host of, of issues that you don't initially, but you don't initially um, um, recognize. For example, the types of scans that you need um you'll find different hospitals do different things the protocols that that um you use who looks at the scans the the processes of getting a patient transferred to that from that hospital to there so trying to standardize everything that you're doing um and getting everybody on the same page um as it were um then of course you have the issues of then repatriating the patients as you know quickly as you can back to the hospital so that you have the capacity to keep taking more um a whole host of things that you don't actually necessarily uh, uh, think about and why would you until you actually start start doing it so it, it is um an interesting model and one that works quite well but um certainly a lot of room for improvement yeah now, could you speak to what's next in this space? What, what are you working on now? And indeed, what would you like to see from pre-hospital clinicians and or ambulance services uh, more so? Well, yes, I mean, so, so back to me, is that there is absolutely no stopping it. I think, um, I think fortunately or, or unfortunately, depending on your perspective, but certainly fortunately for the patients, for sure. Um, there are lots of trials that, that uh, you know, every year there's, there's a whole host 
of new trials that and the the trend is in inexorably in the same direction the indication so the number of people that we can and should be offering this treatment to just keeps on expanding so it used to be that you know we could offer the treatment with patients presenting within four and a half hours then trials took that to six then trials took that to 12. Now they're trials that have shown benefit up to 24 hours and beyond um, for, for being able to access thrombectomy. You also have trials that have actually now, the latest trials have looked at patients who in the past we would probably have thought uh, they probably won't benefit because these are patients who already have what looks to be a very large completed infarct. Because one thing you don't want to do is to be reopening the blood vessel to their brain, or at least so we thought. But then trials have now come and looked at that and actually found that for a, a significant proportion of these patients, there is still clear benefit to offering thrombectomy um, as against to the current best medical management. So that, that's only just come out this year and that's already you know, massively revolutionizing what we do. Um, another trial that's being run out of Canada, which we at St. George's are also leading on for the UK, which is now looking at the benefit of thrombectomy in much smaller vessels. So smaller vessels that we, you know, might not have looked at before, we weren't really sure of. So there are now trials actively looking at whether or not thrombectomy will, bene will benefit patients with these. Um, so the trend is, is clear. This is this is here. It's, it's here to stay. It's expanding. And the... Um, impetus to, to make this available uh, and and as widespread as possible is irresistible yeah that's fantastic to hear that actually because a number of things are happening as well on the in the landscape of of air ambulance charities and indeed air ambulance services so norwegian norwegian air ambulance are one of the first to put a ct scanner uh, which apparently weighs only 50 kilograms into their aircraft. And so what they can do is really start to target some of these uh, from from source. So from take from from call taking uh, and, and fly, fly the aircraft out. And then I guess once they've confirmed it is an ischemic stroke, they could fly straight to thrombectomy. So we're starting to see with the evolution of, of smaller technology and more compact technology um that the the we, we're starting to get more point of care at least at least diagnosis and so we can start to stream to thrombectomy centers so it really is quite exciting uh the 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 the, the, the innovation in this in in this area and like you said the leverage the time window leverage is fantastic so actually the 24 hours still provides but shows benefit and and, and and looking at that is uh is is, is a fantastic uh, fantastic innovation Canel, as we as we start to come into land, could I get you to speak to um, just some of the salient lessons and or future importance within stroke care uh, that you could that you could speak to? So, where do you where do you see us going versus the US? Uh, say us being the UK and or Europe is is this something which you you're going to start to see is extremely commonplace and indeed maybe we'll start to replace more traditional approaches to to stroke care yes I mean I think it's a um it's a good question I mean I, th I think like we um like I said at the big uh early, earlier part of this this um or um, the UK, unfortunately, is still lagging uh, some way um, behind um, certainly America and, and 
large parts of, of Europe um, as well in terms of access um, to thrombectomy and, and provision of round-the-clock uniform uh, level of service. I think in London, we're pretty much there, um, but large parts of the UK, unfortunately, um, are not quite there. But yes, there, there, there are absolutely um, revolutionary things that, that mean that this gap will be or should be easier to close than might have been, say, five, six years ago. One of those things, for example, is the use of AI, you know, uh, at, at St. George's, where that's one of the, um, the the things we developed with our hub and spoke model was actually part of what I touched on as to the difficulty in standardizing, you know, what imaging and who reads it and actually in, in implementing an AI, which was a, a service which was run by St. George's are sponsored by us and actually giving access to all our spokes of this so that they, everybody does the same scan. The, the scans are interpreted by the AI and everybody on the service that day gets the same images, the same picture and the same results and then can take it from there. And that streamlines things you know, a lot. It makes a lot of these the spokes far more comfortable because of course part of the, the difficulty with starting these services will be in people concerned about lacking the relevant skills, if you like, to look at these images, to interpret these images or perform them. So you're able to remove, you know, something like that. So you know I think that there are there there is that that trend for AI to to help. Um geographically as well, I think, you know, England England or the UK, if you like, is is in some ways smaller than say in Australia or the US. So there are potential advantages there in terms of actually leapfrogging by um, the sort of things we're talking about, streamlining our logistics, you know, it, it, not not every um, a thing we need to do needs to be, you know, AI or, or high tech, but just even simple things like this, streamlining our, our services, our, you know, arranging or implementing redundancies in the system. So if one place goes down, another is able to, to to cover. I think those are some of the advantages that we could have geographically and we should be looking to um to, to implement. But I think yes, for now, unfortunately, our priority is this should be to catch up with um Europe and then the US and then hopefully from there really get, you know, the advantages we have uh, ticking. You know, listen, that's fantastic and a great place to leave the conversation. Thank you so much for the last half an hour. It's been extremely informative and uh, I can really see this intervention becoming absolutely fundamental within within not just within stroke care but but also within the wider neuro rehabilitation and and like you said it's going to be extremely exciting to see where these these future clinical trials uh, point to. So thank you again for your time. Pleasure. You're listening to the Pre-Hospital Care Podcast on the Medics Academy Network.